welcome to a very special edition of This Guy Are Sick. Special, you ask? Special because we've got a guest on for this episode, um, which is something I've been trying to get um, happen for a while, you know, something I've been working on for a while. Uh, we have got a bunch of guests lined up, and this is our first ever guest episode. So before we get started on the episode, I just want to say thank you to all those involved in this episode. There's a few people behind the scenes working on this episode, and especially to Ryan Johnson, the Night Sky Prince himself, for coming on to the show it was great chatting to you about Final Fantasy VII Remake, about the ending, going over theories, and just getting to know you. I know we've talked uh, online back and forth for about a year now, and um, you know I'm a big fan of your work. So thank you very much for coming on. And as I said, I've got a couple of guests lined up, you know, great guests actually lined up, and Ryan is the very first of those. So I just want to say, you know, thank you, because, you know, what a first guest to have on, huh? You know, another another huge Final Fantasy fan, uh, someone who makes great content, someone with a fantastic community. If you haven't checked out the Ultima community, please do, because those guys are great. And, you know, the, the whole part of this episode, everything that went into this episode, uh, was just a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, it was just really nice chatting to him. I also want to say a huge thank you to Elizabeth Hamilton for providing us with the cover art for this week's episode. If you don't know Elizabeth, she is a highly valued and talented mod over at Square Posting on Facebook. So please check out Square Posting on Facebook. Uh, it, it's full of content, full of memes. And you'll see some other doodles and drawings that Elizabeth has done floating around on there as well. Now, before I get the episode underway i just want to remind you that you can find us on patreon.com at this guy stick oh, forward slash this guy sick i don't want to mess that up it's not at so it's patreon.com forward slash this guy sick and at ko-fi.com forward slash this guy sick and these are just ways you can support the show patreon is like a monthly uh, subscription and there's little extra contents discord stuff um funny little names that you can have added to your discord name and all, all sorts of other little things on there and ko-fi.com is literally just a, a one-off donation that you feel like hey i like your content i like your memes i like the community have a coffee on us and uh, that's kind of how it works just a nice little donation so without any further ado here is the new episode welcome to this guy sick i am sam valentine and we have a very very special guest on today we have got the night sky prince himself ryan hello everyone it's me the night sky prince you may know of me uh, as a content creator for youtube i make a bunch of final fantasy videos yeah, really good videos, actually. They're ones that I, I personally, when it comes to news, uh, you're the guy I kind of go to when it comes to Square Enix news. So, I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Don't trust a lot of other sources, actually, because a lot of them either post a lot of spoilers or they're not very, very well researched, which doesn't help. Right. And that was probably one of the biggest uh, motivating factors for me when I first started creating this channel was because I'd see either other content creators or news outlets and they would post something and I know that they only knew half of the side of the story. They didn't have that big database in their head of every Final Fantasy interview that's ever taken place because I read all of them. And, um, you know, so they don't have like that huge uh, mental reference to be able to contextualize a lot of information. And so for me, that was probably one of the first driving forces with starting my channel was to have that yeah i mean again like 
with the info that you do have on your channel, you'll 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 find like Japanese um, interviews, pictures from magazines that only get seen in Japan that never make it to the to the West. You know, I commend you on how much effort you put into your videos, and I hope that people. I know you have some detractors. I know you have a few people that aren't so into into you, but I hope they at least appreciate um, the 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 effort you put in. You know, there there are people like that, but at the same time too, <laughs> I'll also see them commenting on the some videos too. So they they have to at some point value that information. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably a good place to start. Um, before, so I'll let everyone know this episode is actually about the ending. So, spoiler warning now, uh, we are going to be talking about the ending to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, but you you obviously put out your thoughts, uh, and I watched the video, and I agree wholeheartedly almost with everything you said. But some people weren't happy with uh, your opinions on, on the ending. Do you want to just give a brief rundown of, of what it was they didn't like? Or was it more to do with uh, the fact that they were expecting you to just love everything, every single part of the game? Oh man, so <laughs> I think it's a combination of all factors, right? Um, I think people just sort of expected me to love it necessarily, especially when I gave the game a pretty high review score. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, I really enjoyed the game, um, and I enjoyed it as a Final Fantasy probably more than any Final Fantasy since like 10, and that's saying something huge for coming from me, I believe. Um, so I thought it was a really phenomenal game. I just and very uncertain about this new ending, particularly because it introduces concepts of like date, uh, destiny and fate, which really aren't concepts that Final Fantasy VII itself really takes on in that sense. Um, they seem sort of more like Final Fantasy XIII type of themes. And it seems like it could be out of place for Final Fantasy VII. And I say this because there is this potential of introducing multiverse theory, apparently, <laughs> with Zach. And, um... Yeah, it definitely looks like multiverse is the way they're going. Um, but, you know, we'll get to that a bit later as well, because Jacob's got a completely other theory on that. Um, but, yeah, no, I know what you mean. It does feel a lot like, especially if you look at um, Final Fantasy thirteen two and the way that that kind of deals with that sort of thing, it is very, it is very reminiscent. Right, especially the whole, um, if you change the future, you change the past. And I thought about them, like, defeating the Whispers. And then Zack sort of getting up and being okay. And I was like, oh, that's a very Final Fantasy thirteen two concept. And, you know, Motomu Toriyama um, worked on that game. And then he's also a scenario writer for this game. And it just kind of makes you stop and think, hmm, <laughs> that's a little yeah, suspect. What? So, so I have I have a theory that we will get a DLC before part two comes out and it's going to be set in Midgar again because it's easy for them to do and it's going to be like a what if episode um, with what if Zack returned to Midgar after that battle um, and I'm not sure how correct I am it literally is just a theory but I thought you know as they're making the next game and people are going to be thirsting for more uh, i am already i'm like i need more now you know i can't i can't wait for more um that that could be something they could do yeah absolutely absolutely that would actually be a really cool idea um to sort of see that stuff but that it not actually play out inside of the main canon timeline um just yeah. to open things up for 
what if scenarios that you can pay for DLC. Like if you would really want to uh, have Zach live, you can pay $15 or whatever currency. And uh, <laughs> you can see that play out and you can have your happy ending in your head. I'm totally cool yeah. with that aspect. Yeah, if that's, if that's what they want to do. It's when it comes to the main canon story that if they want to start inserting like multiverse stuff, like like having like two clouds and like two Aeroths and basically <laughs> that would be like going a bit far really that's that's the sort of thing they should avoid but based on the way they're going we don't know if they're going to at this point right and that would essentially be my ultimate fear is if we have like two copies of every character on screen and then there's like multiverse versions of like uh that that's when things get convoluted and messy and it just it, it's not the same story in a in a negative way yeah, at, at that point we've yeah. got an Aerith to spare. We'll just bin one off, kill her. She'll she'll you know <laughs> make holy work. Don't have to worry. We've still got a spare. Uh, or go into another yeah. team, uh, another timeline, and then we still got her. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. we're, we're, we're moving into you know Avengers Endgame uh, style <laughs> storytelling, which I don't want in a Final Fantasy. To be fair, that's not that's not why I play it. I mean, I don't play it for for time travel and multiple dimensions in honesty, uh, especially seven, because seven is the reason I even know what Final Fantasy is. When I was 13 and that game came out, I'd never played Final Fantasy before. And that's what introduced me to the franchise. So I don't really want them to go too far away from the original story. Um, but I do welcome change and I do welcome the idea of being shot and uh, having something that I've never seen before. Mm. And you know, um, one of the best things about the game, honestly, is how much change that there actually is. Like, especially the stuff that they added to Jesse, um, just giving her a last name, a family, a house. That stuff was really cool. That's the type of change that I really want to see with the remake. That was what they nailed. Um, it was really when, again, the ending, where we start to get to stuff where it's like, oh, let's add in like, possible multiverses or or timeline stuff or time traveling and now there's this theory that maybe sephiroth is time traveling this might be advent children sephiroth or the sephiroth at the end of the original game however you like to look at it going backwards into the past to to re remake the timeline that's kind of weird so my theory on that again another theory and i, I know jacob's got some uh, some comments about the live stream dotted down so in the original seven, um, my, my theory on this is is that when Sephiroth went into the life stream and gained all the knowledge uh, of the ancients and of the of the planet, that somehow he became omnipotent at that point, and it's it's from this kind of area that he is able to travel to wherever the hell he is in the world at the moment. That's kind of how I see it, and um, I know that he almost mentions something similar in in the original seven, which I know Jacob's dying to kind of talk about. So. Yeah, so you, you've got pretty much sort of word for word in the English translation. Um, he says, I'm far superior to the ancients. I became a traveller of the life stream and gained the knowledge and wisdom of the ancients. I also gained the knowledge and wisdom of those after the extinction of the ancients, and soon I will create the future. So, especially with that, when you actually look at what's going on at the moment, it suddenly feels like it clicks into place a little more. Yes, we've got some like weird Nomura bullshit going on, but like him kind of knowing potentially what the future's going to be because he's got the knowledge to know how people are going to act or what they're going to do and where they're going to go. 
he almost knows what the future is going to be. Wow, that's actually a very good theory. Um, I've heard a lot of them so far, but that's probably one of the best that I've heard. Um, like, if, if that's if that's what they're going into, that's that's still cool territory for me. I just only feel as though if the case still has to do with multiverses, then I still can potentially be turned off by that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can see... I don't like the multiverse theory for it. I don't want it to happen, no. I'll be totally honest. But I can totally see it being a thing they do. Um, right. Especially with, obviously, like the, the, the scene showing the alternate stamp breed dog. It, it kind of makes it look like it. I'm hoping the reason they've drawn attention to it is because the times are a little bit out and it's showing something that Zack's going to do rather than it being something that he is doing at that time. But... Ugh. Yeah, um, and I can, I can, I'm actually okay with the time travel aspect. I think like Sephiroth going back in time, trying to actually literally remake the timeline, and doing that kind of thing. I think that's actually a really cool idea for a remake story. Um, I think it's just really when we get into multiverse stuff that that's where that can potentially fall apart. So that's that's yeah. where I'm really hoping that it's a case of where he's gained all this knowledge he's seen all the possible futures that could come from certain actions and he's trying to push them into doing certain things to make sure other things don't happen and I'm really hoping that it's not multiverse from that yeah that's sort of what I'm operating under too um, but I just wonder um, if they're not going into multiverse theory then why else would Stamp have changed from that timeline to the one that we're on now? And I just, I literally could not think of any possible reason that Stamp would change. Uh, the only one I have is that it's a butterfly effect thing, but instead of a butterfly effect moving forward, when they change Destiny, because Destiny is the future, the butterfly effect can only move backwards. And I think that perhaps something like that has happened and that explains it. But again, it's theory you know, uh, Nomura has uh, this imagination and uh, brain pattern that I don't think any other human has on Earth. And he just <laughs> does things that only he would do, you know? And I think he believes that about himself as well, so... Yeah, uh, he definitely does. Um, but I've read some interviews with people who've worked with him, and they very much regard him as a very intelligent person with how he uh, approaches certain design problems and fixing certain issues that they say he's actually very um, wise about how he goes about directing a team so um, he does have his clout for a good reason um, but I mean intelligence and madness go hand in hand so <laughs> they definitely do they definitely do I think he has a little bit of both uh, mm. at least after playing this game I, I also think there's some real meta um, behavior going on in, in, in the game with with what the whispers are they are almost like the fans themselves saying don't change it don't change it and every time they appear they represent us um telling him not to change the game and then we ourselves have to defeat our own ourselves that's part of the game if that makes sense like that's sort of how how i see it yeah that was um that was my favorite aspect of the ending was that it was just this super huge metaphor for um you having to fight your own desire to keep Final Fantasy VII the same way. I thought that was actually very genius and very meta. Hmm. 
Mm. Um, the type of thing that you'd see out of like Yoko Taro or uh, Hideo Kojima was yeah. um, very present there. So that was actually, that was probably the cool thing about that ending. Um, and also with, yeah, also with that ending, uh, you have future versions of the party too. And I noticed that That's they seem to like. represent, yeah, and it seems to represent Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett. And I noticed that there's no one there representing Aerith, and there's no one there representing Red 13. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange choice, because you're right. The, the whispers you fight are um, a hand-to-hand specialist, uh, a gun specialist, and a sword specialist. So there are there are there there is no reference to Red outside of the, the, let's call it a flash sideways, of him with his children. That's the only, you get that as a flashback during that, well, not flashback. Well, it's a flash forward, right? So we get that part when when we see bits of the original story um, with him, but we don't get uh, you know, an effigy of him, and we don't get an effigy of of Aerith either. So he, here's a thought on that. Maybe with Red, it was too early for him to be part of the group enough for his fate to have been lumped in with theirs. Maybe, and maybe the big massive arbiter of fate himself maybe he was the counterpoint to Aerith not necessarily a version of her but he was the actual counterpoint so sorry excuse me Um, that's entirely possible that he's sort of like the opposite function of what Mm -hmm. Aerith is supposed to be Um, but I also think that maybe it's just because that's it comes from a future where she's no longer alive basically yeah. it would make more sense but right just tossing theories out at this point <laughs> right <laughs> i mean that's all we can do because uh what we're left with is mm. almost so cryptic that there is no real definitive logic that you can go by <laughs> to determine because we don't even know if we're dealing with like uh what kind of time travel that we're dealing with is probably the first thing i mean barrett has a really good line in there about you know how how red spout and cryptic stuff which could all be bullshit <laughs> right and Aerith yeah. seemed to know a lot more than she let on. Hmm. Like, at the end, she decided to start talking all this stuff. Like, she knew just everything. And there is this unlockable scene that you can get with her uh, where she's talking to Cloud about her death and, like, all this other stuff. And is, so. Is that the one where she says, Don't love scene. me? Yeah, the one yeah. where she says, Don't fall in love with me. It's very, very powerful scene, actually, too, because in, in your heart, you're like, oh she's gonna die and (laughs) she's telling you don't do it um but it was um it made me think that there's a possibility that if sephiroth is time traveling what if Aerith is time traveling too that's that's interesting Uh, if we look at advent children she definitely can in some way shape or form get involved in future events you know after her death she definitely gets involved in advent children in uh when it when it rains the uh the holy for the geostigma that's her doing that. right yeah. i mean she 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 also has the ability the same as sephiroth does where he doesn't get immediately diffused into the live stream like most people do um on the way to a smile does a really good job of explaining how she stops her consciousness becoming one with the live stream on purpose because she still has a job to do the same as Sephiroth has done it through sheer force of will right and so and what you just read to me earlier 
about talking about how Sephiroth wants to change the future. Mm. And I'm thinking that if he gains all that knowledge and he has and he's within the live stream, isn't it possible that Aerith could do the same exact thing and also time travel to the past? I think it's highly possible. And with with Sephiroth, um, I hate to bring up Avengers Endgame again. There is a <laughs> there's a moment in um, Infinity War uh, just before it where Doctor Strange looks at all the possible futures, and in only one future does he do, do the team win. Um, it is highly possible that with Sephiroth having the knowledge of the live stream, he realizes he loses if he kills Aerith and if he follows the story. So he needs to make sure that they defy their own fate so that he can eventually win. And that could be his reason for wanting to completely change the, the flow of which the party goes through. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I was sort of thinking along those lines too, where he's really trying to ensure that his timeline comes through. And it honestly feels like, I'm, I'm not even sure on this. It feels like he was trying to lure us into killing the whispers or killing the whispers was part of his plan. That's like exactly what he wanted us to do. Yeah, no, I definitely think that. See, I, I really hope that, yes, I'm fine with Nomura changing stuff and, you know, there being some stuff to shock us. I think, I think Aerith still needs to die, but I feel like, based on the way the original happened, where you had Cloud about to attack her and he stops himself, and then Sephiroth comes down and actually kills her himself. I've got this weird feeling that if they still kill her, they might actually have Cloud do it, or Aerith might force it on him. Maybe sort of step into the blow sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, that would be... Oh, no. <laughs> and that would be gut-wrenching. I, I, I can't deal with that. No. That would actually that would be very gut-wrenching. I don't even think they could do that. That's too much. <laughs> but, the, other, um, the other way they could do it, is um and then this is just because of i don't know how familiar you two are with the walking dead um but the tv show and the comic so in the comic there's a, a famous scene where negan takes the character Glenn, beats him to death and then when they were coming to for the tv show obviously everyone knew it was going to happen spoilers were everywhere everyone was like glenn's gonna die glenn's gonna die so then in that episode of the tv show negan killed abraham instead of Glenn and then we went to commercial break so the fans of the comic were like I can't believe that just happened he, he, they, he didn't kill Glenn we're now shocked the fans that had it spoiled for him were now like oh they were wrong and then when we come back from commercial break he then kills Glenn as well shocking the fans who knew Glenn was going to die and also shocking um, the, the fans that didn't know he was going to die at the same time and I wonder with the future is now not set in stone, that when Sephiroth goes to kill Aerith, you as Cloud can save him, save her at that moment, only for him to then kill her later on in another way, therefore shocking us twice as fans and as, as gamers and as players. Wow, that would be incredible. A double fake out that, almost. That would be incredible. And that's actually something I can actually see Nomura doing because that's the type, <laughs> that's the exact type of director that he is to do those type of double psych outs. So I, I don't think yeah. I have totally. an issue with it either. I don't have an issue with that either. I, I feel like, I feel like if you do something like that, 
then that's the best way actually possible to recreate the same exact feelings that you had in 1997 because it gives you that same like it gives you the sensation that she's safe sort of the same way you would have felt if you didn't have any preconceived notions about how the story was going to go so it sort of resets you back to that situation and in that moment you're you're thinking that you saved her you did it you let your guard down emotionally and then it drives it right back home i think it's a yeah, powerful I, idea yeah i mean th there's definitely things they could play with and and even if they did it the exact same as the original he kills her they've already tricked us into thinking that maybe she won't die anyway at this stage yeah, now we right. don't know what's gonna happen. right some people online have been saying uh maybe it'll be tifa this time <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't i can't really see it though but uh that's all that's what. also one the only one other thing i could think of that would psych people out as much as um Aerith dying in the original. That, mo that moment with with Barrett in the tower, I was like, well, wait, this is not meant to happen. What the hell is going <laughs> yeah. on here? I was like, when I was playing, I was like, holy fuck, what have they done? Yeah, I was thinking that too. And you know, in old interviews, they said originally that they were thinking about killing Barrett, but then they didn't want to be too um, stereotypical at the time. <laughs> killing like the, <laughs> like the, yeah. And so they, they decided like, okay, we're going to go with um, Aerith is who they eventually decided on. And so <laughs> I just think that it's uh, really funny that they sort of threw that in there as a reference. There's a lot so, of good little references, actually, which are quite nice. Yeah, there are. Um, although I don't know how I felt about that scene in particular. <laughs> it, it almost seemed like he, uh, he stabbed him just to demonstrate that, hey, look, I can't kill the wrong person right now because of fate. Mm. Yeah, I think that is exactly what they were doing. Like he was just showing, almost like he, with Sephiroth, he's someone who loves mind game. That that was just another mind game. He knew that Barrett was going to come back alive, and he was almost toying with the party to say, you know, your fate is sealed. What are you going to do about it? Right. And it's just interesting to me that. He seemed to absorb the Watchmen of Fate after you defeated them. I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but they all like yeah. go into his like arm. What does yeah, that mean? Did. Again, I think it comes down to that the Watchmen of Fate from the beginning have been him and have been set upon the world by him that he has somehow summoned them. Uh, that this is all part of his plan, his game. But explaining it, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I mean, if if we go if we go back to the original a little bit here, he does have another one of his quotes. He does say, um, "Melding with the planet, I will cease to exist as I am now, only to be reborn as a god to rule over every soul." Now, when they explain the whispers, they're an extension of the life stream, seeking to make sure fate effectively plays out how it's supposed to. So if he's becoming if he's becoming one with the life stream with the planet, then in theory he would have some measure of control over them. So maybe he is trying to shift fate using them. So one of the biggest questions I had playing this game was the whispers come from the planet and Aerith can communicate with the planet, the live stream, and yet 
she doesn't know what the whispers are. So if the whispers are coming from the planet, wouldn't Aerith know what the whispers already are? I think that when you said earlier about her not letting on what she knows, that even in the very beginning, she wasn't letting on what she knows yet. Yeah. You know, and perhaps she did know what they are to an extent, but wasn't quite sure where things were going enough to fully explain it. Because, um, you know, Nanaki Red knew basically what they were just by, I suppose, we'll, we'll learn more at Cosmo Canyon when we get there. But he had a lot of information to dish out based on, he was more of like a sage-like character in this one, where as in the original, he's not hes not so what of a sage-like character. You know, his grandfather is, but he was almost like he's been absorbing knowledge for a long time to, to offer it out to people. But I do wonder if Aerith was just pretending she didn't know what these things are. The, the other yeah. thing with Red is he does actually say that he, he learned some knowledge when Aerith sort of touched him. So maybe he learned some of the additional knowledge through that. Maybe her connection to the live stream, to the Cetera, maybe that's given him further knowledge on stuff he already knew. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Although, unless Aerith was basically trying to conceal that she didn't know more, um, which we already think is the case. I don't see why she would be confused. So I think that she had to have some idea of what they were before. And like you were saying, Sam, like she just didn't fully know um, about them, especially if they come from Sephiroth himself too. Um, and now I'm wondering if he absorbed them, did he like, basically absorb destiny did he absorb the ability to control time in some capacity well he wants to make the future so right and so i mean we definitely had to play into his hand i think that he wanted us to destroy them so that he could absorb them in some capacity but yeah maybe by weakening them that actually gave him enough leeway to be able to do it and they couldn't fight back properly right but then what we have to think about is what's going to be the consequences of that going forward. And it's just so hard to even really, really take a guess as to what the consequences of him being able to absorb them. Because if he inherits their power, then you have to think, then wouldn't Sephiroth have the power to, to control destiny? In some aspect, it may play more into the dimensional theory. Um, now that just listening to you talk then, I was thinking about, yeah, where could this go? Like, where could they go? And then the first thing that came to mind was in the original, when you fight him in the crater, and he is the safest Sephiroth form, and you are literally transported to a different dimension for that battle. You know, with the clouds all around you, you are no longer on the planet. Um, he pulls you into somewhere else where he's able to destroy our solar system in that area as well and then when you finish fighting him the only last place to defeat him was is cloud has to I, my my interpretation is that final one-on-one -on -one battle with cloud is cloud defeating him in his own mind at the end before then traveling back to the crater again in the real reality and leaving the reality that you fought Sephiroth in behind so it could play into the fact that he does have some form of reality warping abilities that previously we didn't really touch upon but now they're going to really expand 
Actually, I may be uh, not sure if I'm remembering this correctly, but didn't Genova sort of warp the room that you were in when you did that boss fight in Shinra HQ? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good touch, actually. I think think that was a good addition, especially with the fact that um, Genova Genova is sort of how Sephiroth appears or how he how he almost travels around physically when his actual body's in the northern crater. I think it makes sense that there was a Genova part in the Shimra building like that this time. Yeah, I think so too. Very awesome fight, by the way, too. Mm. Um, but yeah, if he has um, those sort of dimension warping powers, that would totally explain um, not only warping that room, as we've already seen, but him being able to sort of make those dimensions so that also makes you think too when he pulls Cloud into the uh, edge of creation, as he calls it. Um, is that one, one of his dimensions of the edge of creation that he's seen? Is that like his rebuild of it? Because you know he like tosses like Shinra HQ at Cloud, and then apparently, <laughs> and then apparently yeah. everything is just okay when they come back. Um, so is he able to create like um, these mirror universes where he basically has control over it? I think so, right? And I think, again, looking at Advent Child, uh, when uh, Kadar has the Genova head and pulls it onto himself, Sephiroth appears and Kadar no longer exists. Well, where did Sephiroth come from in that moment? Like, right. did, like did, did, it was like they summoned him from somewhere. It was like Sephiroth was summoned from somewhere uh, when Kadar absorbed Genova. So where is that somewhere? And his, you know, his line in, in that uh, film as well, you know, I will never become a memory or I will never be a memory, is to mean that he, a memory is obviously something of the past, meaning that once he's gone, he's still not gone. He's still somewhere. Uh, and where is that? So interestingly, um, there is actually a bit of an explanation, again, in On the Way to a Smile, as well as some of the other lore. With that particular bit, uh, Kadaj, Loz, and Yazoo—they are manifestations of Sephiroth's will directly from the live stream. Um, he literally just wills them into being. And when they come into contact with the Genova cells, that com- combined with Cloud's memory of him is what actually allows him to take true form. Like in the live stream, his consciousness forgets his own his own power, the way he looks. He just has Cloud that he focuses on, and he uses that as his this is how I will not become one with the live stream. This is what's tying me to existence, Cloud. And that's why he says he'll never be a memory, because as long as Cloud holds on to him, he can't ever lose him. Oh, wow. I need to read On, uh, on a Way to a Smile. It's Didn't a good I know book. That? That's, yeah, I've heard that. Wow, that's pretty powerful. I could totally no, I, see uh, that, that being the case then. Because... I had- Oh, sorry, I always kind of uh, oh my bad. Um, I always kind of wondered uh, what will what does I will never be a memory like explicitly mean? Because it's kind of it's kind of ambiguous, really. Mm. Is it just like a cool anime line, but contextualized in that sense? And thinking about all the theories where Sephiroth could be time traveling to the past, saying that he will always be more than just um, a memory. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I've got On the Way to a Smile. Um, I had it sent to me by a listener a couple of, uh, a few months back, and I, I still haven't got around to reading it. it. It sat in my little seven display on the side, but I still, I still need to listen, I still need to read. 
Yeah. It's, it's a very good read. It's it's got a lot of stuff that it kind of explains from between Seven and Advent Children, which isn't explained, and then when the film actually happens, it, it, it almost assumes you know these things, but at the same time you don't need to know them, but it gives better context. It's a bit weird. No, I can completely understand. Uh, Advent Children, especially the first cut of it before complete, was really lacking some context for like a lot of scenes. Mm. Uh, when they came out the complete version, it became a much better movie because the context for like a lot of stuff that happened got filled in, and I was like, oh, okay. And so that basically saved that movie for me because um, the first cut, I feel like, was so... The way they presented a lot of things almost didn't really make a lot of sense. And then they added like 30, 30 minutes like worth of footage, and mm. it really added a lot of cohesion to the film. And that's like the best way to watch it. Yeah, it felt cut down in the uh, first, the very first run of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's 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 just so interesting to think that that Sephiroth being back here now, because I always feel like in all that media they sort of teased him returning though in a way that would be more benevolent than what we've seen in Advent Children, or at least that's kind of always the vibe that I've gotten. But I think with with what Jacob just added about uh, on the way to a smile and and what that means, as long as someone as long as Cloud being Sephiroth's anchor to reality, uh, as long as Cloud exists, Sephiroth can exist. And then what you said about you know him being bigger than what we think, those two things to me mesh together quite well. Um, and the way I see it is that it is quite possible that. If all he needs is Cloud as an anchor, that he could, and with everything, the quotes and stuff about him being in, in the, uh, being able to appear anywhere at any time that he wants, isn't far, for someone who can will things into existence, right? So someone who can will, uh, you know, the three silver-haired boys uh, into existence just by wanting them there, that's a deep level of ability and power for a villain to have. So... If he can will that into what else can he do? Wow, yeah. Because he could easily will himself back into the past, can he? I mean, if you can literally create what's essentially life, then I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. Yeah. And especially with the themes that he plays with when we do look at what the life stream it's uh it's an ever existing connection of the planet. It's what keeps things going is what has always kept things going and what will always keep things going so he is right. sort of now he's like he, he's almost a god at the stage that he becomes one with the Lord. right and so um it just it, it really makes you think because then is the life stream in itself almost benevolent to time is it something that's like eternal that's like existing at all points in time at the same time <laughs> does that make any sense yeah that would be interesting if, um, yeah, if, if the live stream exists at all times in every time at once then time travel then becomes a non-issue anything that could gain the power of the live stream can exist at any point in, in any time they want right and so that would explain how Sephiroth and presumably even Aerith was able to time travel. Yeah, no, I think that's, and I think that could be exactly what is going on, especially, with, mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about Aerith yet, 
as you mentioned earlier, Ryan, about the uh, confusion that she had with the, the whispers. I don't think she was able to fully understand that knowledge yet. But for Sephiroth, I think he definitely understands everything that's going on um, and knows, knows, you know, even down to what the whispers are, what they represent. He knows all of them. Right. And actually, now that you mention it, if you really think about it, if that's the case, perhaps the whispers only exist when someone has time traveled and they know that a foreign entity is inside of that timeline. That's an excellent point because it would explain why they've never existed before because they haven't had to. So when we play the original game, the reason there are no whispers is because no one was breaching destiny, but now someone is, and that someone is Sephiroth. Right, because why else would it be bothering people? Like, it wouldn't bother people normally. Um, it would be, it'd be like almost a, an outlandish concept to think that whispers have always persisted in this world and us to have never encountered them in any uh, shape or fashion, especially when... Um, if you want to talk about a theme of changing destiny or fate, um, I'd say that we definitely did that when we stopped the meteor um, <laughs> in, the, in the original game, right? Yeah. So um, it would seem it would seem very weird that they wouldn't show up then, right? But they show up now, and um, so it seems likely to me that it only seems like they show up when someone has uh, tried to interfere with destiny by time traveling. And so, and in fact, you could look at it like the weapons, right? The weapons protect the planet from like threat, right? But there's also maybe the whispers who protect the planet's like timeline from distortion. If that makes that sense. Makes, so that makes sense to me, uh, especially when the the biggest whisperer is almost weapon-like in its size. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, they're um, almost like fate weapons of a, of a sort. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly the sort of thing that I'm that I'm going on, really. And it would also explain why the, uh, they become visible to people who touch them, because it's almost like you become part of the time traveler's scheme, and now you can see them pushing you toward destiny or fate or how the timeline's supposed to work. Speaking of that, I actually found it really interesting towards the end when you saw them looking back at the Shimra building just surrounded by whispers. It was the point where they cut to uh, Rufus and Sung and Rufus could see them and Sung couldn't. And I, I thought that was really interesting that Rufus can. And it makes you wonder why he can see them. Yeah, because um, Sung had touched Aerith at some point. So he should he should have been able to see him. So then, that is actually very weird. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if we're going to get some some fuckery with Rufus, right? And if you look at lots of fan fiction out there, uh, Rufus and Cloud, a lot of fans like to pretend that they are brothers. Um, and that Cloud's mum is actually Rufus's mum, and that the president <laughs> is Cloud's. And and this is something that um, this is something I played with a lot. In uh, I run the I don't know if you guys know I run the Cloudiest Strife page, uh, which is just for silly <laughs> <Yes>. jokes. <laughs> and um, and not a lot of people know that's me, so I've just outed myself. Uh, and even the name Claudia was me making a joke 
and in this game, in in this in in this game, they've got, she's called Claudia, and I was as soon as I saw it, I was I was laughing like thinking <laughs> I just made I made that up as a joke, um, but when I make these weird posts on there about you know the the joke the Claudia joke that I make is that there was an orgy at the Shinra mansion. <laughs> she went along and she doesn't know she doesn't know Cloud's dad is right. But then <laughs> yeah. people started people started sending the Claudia page. Um, these fan fictions of Rufus and Cloud being brothers, and um, and I just hope that that isn't where they're going with it, and that's why Rufus is somehow able to see things. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! That's, that's another interesting point. Do you reckon they'll they'll make mention of Cloud's dad in this one? I feel like they should. That would um, be interesting to see you know, where they, they go they... with that. <laughs> People wanted them to make uh, reference to Noctis's mom, and they never did that in fifteen. <laughs> so sure, I don't know if sure. they'll they'll like really um, show his dad off in any capacity. But they have so much space to expand story and like really give lore that I think that it'd be just a missed opportunity entirely to not at least tease his dad in some capacity or give so, us more than what the OG game did. Speaking of dads, um, Hojo mentions when you first, when Sephiroth first shows up in the tower about, oh, this will be funny to see their son and their children. Is Hojo implying that Vincent might be Sephiroth's dad in that scene? Mm, I, I think he's implying that he thinks Sephiroth would be a really good father to Aerith's children to produce offspring. I think his theory was he'd like Sephiroth and Aerith to breed. That's what I reckon. <laughs> Possibly. Wow. There's going to be a fan fiction out there about that. There's, al- well, there's already one out there. <laughs> <It would exist. laughs> well, let's but, be honest. There's, there's 20 I years. I mean, he did, he did penetrate her from behind in the original, so God. that actually yeah. exists some... Beat me to it. Yeah. Fucking beat me to it. Wow. <laughs> As soon as I get off this podcast, you guys, I probably <laughs> I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> We're like Sephiroth, Aerith, Rule 34. Um, but <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I kind of think that he he may have been referring to uh, Sephiroth and Aerith breeding, which I think I think is kind of like what he. But um, I could totally see that being a thing because Kitase apparently does read popular fan theories. And uh, he was asked about the ones for like Final Fantasy VIII, and I can't remember which one it was, but um, it was the Squall is dead one. That's what it was. And he was like, <laughs> "He's like, no, but that's actually really creative." And then someone said like, uh, "Renoa must be Ultimacia." And then that's when he was like, "Okay, um, y'all need to, <laughs> you guys need to calm down." <laughs> but um, which is a really funny interview to read. But uh, it made me realize that. Um, because he responded to um, the Squall is Dead one. He's like, I might have to think of that uh, when I, whenever we eventually do a remake of FF8. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if, he, if he's been looking at... Because he said in like all the inside Final Fantasy VII like, interviews that he was like, I'm looking at what people are saying online mm-hmm. and all the comments. And I'm producing... Right. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and so basically he used all that feedback as the foundation for... Um, remaking the game and so I'm thinking if he used everyone's comments and feedback 
um, talking about certain sections of the game and their theories, I'm almost wondering, like, did he read that theory and then retroactively decide, hey, let's put that in the game? Hmm. Yeah, as long as he didn't go to any of the shitposting community <laughs> theories, that's going to be... Oh. Yeah. So yeah, because so, that'll, so, that'll make things really weird with Squall and Renoa, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give a shout out to John McMahon actually, uh, who who's admin at Square Posting. I'm pretty sure uh, in Final Fantasy Ship Posting Group that he was the first person to start making those jokes um, and making those memes. And it's now got to a point where it's almost canon with some fan. It, it is being discussed a lot. Like, I've seen people even in Ultima, like, come over and be like, do you think Renoa and Squall were brother and sister? I was like, oh, God, where is this coming from? <laughs> to be fair, I, so, think, so I think that sort of thing is another reason why Hojo might have been alluding to... Aerith and Sephiroth breeding because I think he probably wanted to step it away from the idea that they wanted Red 13 and Aerith to breed and I, I just don't think in this day and age they wanted to have that anywhere near it <laughs> yeah they definitely did not want to have that I think I actually made a video yeah I did make a video on this it was actually a pretty popular one too as uh, why I said um, Final Fantasy 7 Remake should be an M-rated game and I totally stand by that, having completed it now. Um, the Blood Trail wasn't actually a Blood Trail; it was like some kind of like Genova Goop. I really don't, <laughs> I really don't know what it was supposed to be, uh, but it was not a Blood Trail. Blood does not have purple sparks coming off of it, at least not, <laughs> not human. Yeah, it was, but it and there was weird, no bodies either. Yeah, that whole scene I mean, played out like not right. I don't know how to explain. No. It didn't. It didn't feel eerie enough, you know. In in the original, and you wake up in the cell, and there's just like people have been murdered everywhere, and there's blood everywhere. You're like, what the hell has happened? Yeah, and that scene, uh, being locked up in the cell, they sort of replaced that with being all confined in like Aerith's like sort of space, like her room, yeah. her old room at Shinra HQ, and that scene, it didn't have the same effect. Or it didn't no. just it wouldn't have not have been as good if, as if they had just made the original version of that scene how it was. I just don't feel it that way. Um, which is kind of why I consider like chapter 17 along with 18 as kind of like my bad chapters because 17 they changed a lot of stuff there too, and it just didn't really hit home with me just quite added in the same the drum way. Entirely. <laughs> There, yeah. was another, there was another area in the game, and I know this is about the ending, and I'll, I'll get back to our closing a little bit in a second. But the whole train graveyard did not work for me at all. Yeah, it really wasn't that spooky. It was almost like comic spooky. Like, um, like a, you know, like Dragon Quest villains? Are like, <laughs> yeah. just <laughs> like that's how, that's how like the ghost for me. It didn't feel like it was actually supposed to be scary. Um, it yeah. felt like it was scary, but it was supposed to be funny too. I don't Maybe know. And that, whereas point, I, I, I feel like that was the intention, but I just, I almost also kind of feel like it just would have been nicer to just have like a little bit more spooky. But yeah, I mean, the original I, game, I guess it's not that spooky. I, so. I think, I think in that instance, when you actually look at Cloud as a character, he has no fear. 
Like when you, get, especially when you get to that scene, he has no fear of the ghost. He has no fear of the dark. He's got no fear that something's going to jump out at him, because you know for a fact that he is going to shove a fucking great big slab of metal in and around its asshole. He's right. going to fucking ruin it. So he's not <laughs> right. afraid. He's not afraid in the least. So I think maybe they took that on board and used that uh, to make the scene a little bit more comic-like than scary, right. just because it's not for him anyway. Oh, okay. No, that's actually a very, very good interpretation of it. It's basically seeing the train graveyard from Cloud's perspective, making it comical in a sense. Mm. Yeah. Also kind of adds to his character too, because it's like, <laughs> like you said, shows that he has like no fear of anything. Most people are yeah. like ghosts. Especially if they can see them moving around, would be freaked out. And he's just like, oh, hmm. So. Yeah. No, no. And that bit just didn't play very well for me. I found it kind of getting in the way a little bit. I was like, oh, hurry up. Come on. Like, get on with this bit. But maybe that's just me who felt like that. I, mean, I didn't feel like that with any other. I, I, I actually agree with you on that particular point. Because especially as soon as you get past. As soon as you get past the the big building where you fight the phantom, you can see the fucking the, the plate support pillar being attacked. And at that point, it's just, shit, I need to get to the plate support pillar. But then you have the whole bit with the Elagor fight and everything. Good fight, but it, it dragged. Yeah, it did. Um, that whole section kind of was way longer than it should have been. Um, there was a couple of cases in the game that felt like obvious padding. I don't think there's any bigger exception to that than uh, that second uh, Obzu fight. That was the most obvious padding in the entire game. And uh, doing that, yeah, and then having to do the same fight over again and having to go through the same dungeon over again, that was, um, I think that was the point in which my enjoyment for the game was actually at its lowest. Um, not that even that section was that bad. It was just one of those moments where you're like, really? They're going to make you go back through this whole thing and fight that same boss, only slightly different. But uh, it wasn't a big deal. But I think that was probably the worst uh, or most obvious padding that yeah. was in the game. Yeah. No, I think I think you're right. So, so moving on to our closing area. We've got a couple of theories about the ending, and a couple of a couple of theories about Zach. Um, there's the theory that Zach actually then gets shot by the three grunts um, that we see in the original game, and all they've done is stitch together the Crisis Core ending and the original uh, Crisis Core ending, and then the original Zach death in Final Fantasy VII. And I know Jacob leans towards that one. Um, we we've, we've spoken about. The kind of uh, alternative sort of maybe flash to a different timeline, or oh, not timeline, sorry, a different dimension or a different reality, which Ryan, me and you, is the case. And then there's the third one, which is full-on time travel and Zach is alive. So, just speaking about the Zach is alive one for a sec, uh, how, how do you feel about the idea or, or about the fans that want that to happen and, and what that would mean for the story. Like, would that be too much for you? Oh, man. I feel like it's not a good thing to want to happen canonically. I understand their desires. I understand that they love this character. But it basically makes both of their character arcs fall apart entirely, but especially Cloud's. Because with Cloud, 
I mean, him rediscovering his identity is basically the story of the game, like for his character, like that's what his character is about. So basically you would be saying, let's take the entire character arc of Cloud and non-canonize it so we can bring back a character from the dead who already had a very complete and satisfying arc. And I just don't think that's a good idea. That's basically um, ruining the story going forward just to have what's essentially fan service. And I know people want to see him again. I know people are excited for it. You should hope for um, maybe a large DLC or a large playable segment, uh, segment in the second or third part where you can do flashbacks and, and get to see more Zach. But I don't think that you should try to shoehorn him back into the story, break both of their character arcs. Um, and I don't even know how that would work in terms of party dynamic, having two characters of basically <laughs> the same <laughs> job class um, working together with the same type of weapons. It just um, it doesn't mesh well. And so um, it, and then at that point, it, it almost even wouldn't even make sense for Cloud to be the protagonist anymore because there it basically almost remove anything special about him. Yep. So no, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, Jacob, obviously not a lot of people share your theory, uh, which is that they fused the two together. But do you just want to explain why you think that? And then we'll, we'll let Ryan see how he feels about your theory. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think, I, I definitely think that the either alternate dimension or timeline makes sense, especially with the way they've put so much emphasis on the, the new breed of stamp that they flash past at the end. Like, there's too much emphasis on that for it to be nothing. But I like the idea that they're seeing almost the end of Zack's journey. But because there's still a time gap between the end of Zack's journey and when Tifa finds Cloud in Midgar, I feel like there's potential for a, a DLC that is there, there to there almost. The end of what we've just had to the beginning of what we've just had. Because... There's no, there's nothing in between that at the moment for us. Right. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that they play up that Zack's a hero, and I kind of hope that it's that was just a previous iteration of Stamp or another one that they had previously, and they've just had a new Stamp later on. Um, almost like when you get a new Captain America in Marvel, you know, occasionally it happens. They change around the actor or they change around the character in the comics, um, and I'm hoping that's what that Stamp is, and I'm hoping that there's just almost extra story and more for Zack to do before he dies. I've also got this idea that they could have his death be more controversial than just being shot by Shimra troops wanting to beat the Turks. Maybe maybe one of the Turks are a little bit more dirty than the others and he shoots him. Or maybe, maybe Rufus was involved somewhere there. We don't know. Um, but I, I, th I think it would be better for the story, personally, if they don't do an alternate timeline. And I actually think it would be really good for them to just flesh out that scene there. And it also makes sense that no Shimra Grunt should be able to kill a soldier. Soldiers are supposed to be these big, awesome, ridiculous super soldiers. How would a Grunt take them down? Even several of them should have a fucking hard time to take him out. So maybe it takes someone somewhat harder to actually put Zack down properly. Yeah, it seems sort of weird that they would just keep sending endless hordes of men until Zack died. Mm. 
I always, <laughs> always kind of found that weird. My interpretation of his original death was that he was basically just caught off guard and shot in the back of the head. And the reason that he was cut off guard was because he was busy uh, caring for Cloud and making sure that he was okay. And in that moment of vulnerability, um, they were able to snipe him out. And that was always my interpretation, which is why I was very sort of eh on Crisis Core's interpretation, where he just defeats hordes and hordes of men until uh, basically they, they die, which I don't put that past Shinra, but it just seems like at some point, wouldn't the troops be like, Dude, he just <laughs> he just killed about a thousand of us. Let's just not do this. Let's retreat. Yeah. Um, it seems seemed kind of odd to me. So I actually really like your theory because I feel like Zach having a specific person that actually murdered him rather than like a faceless troop. I think that would actually be a really good idea. And to add on to your theory, I have a theory that maybe that soldier is Rosh. That would be yeah. really interesting. It would make him mean something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because right now he doesn't like really mean anything. They kind of introduced him and then he just like he just went away and we never saw him again. So I think it'd actually be really interesting if let's just say um Rosh was a soldier grunt and this grunt was able to take down Zack maybe. And then that's how he got promoted in the to be a third-class soldier because they'd have an opening. Mm-hmm. It just took out Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ted Mangus. And the thing yeah. is, I, I will say one thing, and this is just a uh, something that's been on my mind. They spoke. Uh, Hojo spoke about uh, soldier characters going insane and losing, and then they show you that instead of the Sephiroth clones, that the hooded people, the this guy, sick guy is actually a, a, an ex-soldier that has just got weird as a result. So when I first saw Roche and then afterwards, I, I wondered if uh, his entire art, like, is he's insane. Like, he's losing some... Something is going wrong with his brain because of some sort of soldier degradation that's going on. So if you put it in there that he also killed Zack and that was the catalyst for him to start losing it, make a hell of a lot of sense. Right, it'll completely recontextualize his character like right away, and you'll rethink everything that ever happened with him. Yeah. So I actually think that would be a really good way to to build in his character because right now I don't know where his character is going at all. No, 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 but do I? I don't think anyone knew where he was going after the end of that fight. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought he would show up at least one more time, but even then. I thought he'd show up at the end in the uh, beginning of chapter 18 when you had the, the freeway chase and the motorball fight. I thought he'd show up in there somewhere. So I thought he should have been the final boss. Like, if you want to talk about changes, I think that if you made us fight like a very souped up Rosh and you got to fight this guy and he's in soldier, but he's not even next, uh, nowhere near being on Sephiroth's level, but he gives you the hardest time um, it then sets the expectation of how powerful is Sephiroth if this guy is this strong. Hmm. No, and that's, would, yeah. yeah. And then that would have chained into the next game so much better, and it wouldn't have been so jarring. And that's how I would have done it if I were the director. No, no, it makes perfect sense. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think he wants to have sex with his motorbike? 
Oh man, twelve. Oh my god. I feel like I feel like he like I feel like as soon as he like gets on his motorcycle, he like he like does like this thing where he like swings his hips around, just like rubbing it on the motorcycle. Just grinding it in. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'm the speed demon. I think yeah. I think that's going to be the the quote of the episode. Uh, <laughs> <of it. laughs> oh yeah, it definitely is. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Raj was criminally underutilized, and mm. I really want to see where they're going to go with him in the next part. But I I totally feel like he should have been the main antagonist of this first part because now I'm thinking. In terms of the future, they already did a big, like, spectacle fight with Sephiroth for this first game. And so, what are they going to do with the second game or the third game? And if they do four games, it's like, you got all these games, and you're going to have to have a very, very comparable boss fight every time. Otherwise, people will say that you step down. And you know that you have to step up every time, more spectacle, and do it even bigger than you did it last time. But it feels like they kind of blew their load too soon because it just <laughs> like how, how from a spectacle um, perspective do you top what they did there? Like buildings flying everywhere, Fly. jumping across like segments, fighting Sephiroth, one winged angel playing. <laughs> where, where do you by, think by, by killing Aerith. By so, killing Aerith is how they do it. Yeah, that is one way to end. Um, That's how they end it. They end part two with her death. No boss battle. Her dying is how it ends. Because <laughs> that way you haven't you haven't had to top yourself. You haven't had to t uh, what you've done previously in terms of boss ba boss battle. You've ended it on this like dramatic like holy shit moment. And that like so you you haven't now got to to top what you. That's the only way I would see them being able to top it. Because Right. Instead of giving you that big boss battle, they've given you this like gut wrenching. Yeah, the, the, um, with, with that, if if you've got Aerith dying as the, then it would make sense as an end point for one of the games, but it means they've got a lot in between that to fill in, which means you know there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of boss fights in between them for them to just do more excellent boss design because they've got a lot of really good boss design in this one. But I mean, the last boss before Aerith dies in the original one is one of the Genova forms. Oh no, it's just after she dies. So I, I could see them adding something before that and then maybe having Genova after that just to end out the game. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, I think yeah. if they're going to do this in like three games, it's definitely have to, it definitely has to go up to, to Aerith's death in the next game which is a lot of content to cover. But I imagine the next game being um, very big in terms of world size. Uh, I don't think that it'll be truly open world. In fact, if I had to make an estimate of how they'll be doing the world map, uh, I would probably say that something like if you guys have played Dragon Quest Eleven, where there's various zones that you're in and they're very big sprawling zones, but it's not open world in the sense of like Final Fantasy 15 where it's like one seamless connecting landmass that keeps streaming in. I think that they'll try to do those zones instead. Um, and those seem to work in my opinion instead of doing the bigger open world style. I feel like it's more yeah, no, I... um, it's more uh, closer and intimate in, 
you can do a lot within that space rather than creating this big open landmass that's um, basically vacant. Because even with fifteen, they struggled to fill it with things to do. I think I think fourteen yeah. is another sort of possible way they'll go with the sort of zones where they'll potentially have like the the cities and the towns as their own space where there's no encounters at all except scripted ones and then they'll have all of the other fights in in your various areas like outside midgar being one almost almost like an mmo area but not yeah i completely understand what you're saying that's that's also another possibility too um i only lean dragon quest because also an unreal uh, unreal engine 4 game so oh yeah that's a good point yeah Yeah. okay um i think that's it guys um ryan honestly thank you very much for coming on and giving us your time um you know you do wonders with what you do me and jacob both huge fans uh of what you bring to the overall Mm -hmm. community uh so thank you for giving you giving us your time um and if there's anywhere our listeners who, who don't know who you are um can find you and find out more about you uh the floor is Oh wait, did you kind of cut out? Oh, sorry, he said the floor is <laughs> no, yours. Sorry, yeah, the floor is oh, yours. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, they like it cut out like. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me uh, on YouTube, uh, the Night Sky Prince. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's Night Sky Prince underscore, and you can also join our Facebook group, Ultima Square Enix Plus JRPGs. Excellent, thanks, um, and. We'll, we'll see you again soon and Ryan honestly anytime if you want to come on ever again let me know uh, and we would have you back in a- I would love to you guys are awesome it's been so great talking theories with you got a few uh, theory videos inside my head cooking right now <laughs> so I appreciate that a lot <laughs> that's brilliant that's really okay, good to hear yeah. from you yeah so I'm excited okay, yeah, to work on those enjoy the rest of your evening <laughs> alright you guys too